day when I don't have to do that anymore. Oh, good morning, church. It's good to see you all. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. chapter 22. We're going to pick it up in verse 31. This is the word of the Lord. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Jump over to verse 54. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, You will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Let's pray. Dearest Lord, we pray by your spirit, the power of your word, that your word would bear fruit in all of its simplicity and truth. Teach us your truth and how to walk in your ways near Jesus and not at a distance. Teach us to follow you and fight against our sins and temptations and to walk humbly before you with them. Help your hearers to heed words and warnings and encouragements in this precious story you have given us of the Apostle Peter. Help me to say what's true and to have faith as I declare what you say. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you don't have to walk very long as a Christian to um, have a particular fear about you. And one of the things that you will fear the most as a Christian, as your faith has become precious to you, as the Lord Jesus has taken hold of your heart and life, and he's rescued you from Uh, the snare of the devil and from enslavement to your sin and as he delivered you from the wrath to come as he's promised you eternal life through faith. Through faith. Through entrusting yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ alone and his death on the cross in your place as that becomes precious to you as this most holy faith that you have trusting in Jesus becomes precious to you the fear that you will have is that faith will fail. You will, have, you will walk with a fear that that faith will fail. And um, it's really fascinating. In this passage, Jesus prays for Peter's faith not to fail. And so the message today really is um, five characteristics of the disciple whose faith never fails. 
Five characteristics of the disciple whose faith never fails. Starting right at the beginning, um, awareness of the work of the enemy. Awareness of the work of the enemy. You know, um, you see it there in verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. I mean, that's a, that's a remarkable thing that Jesus is saying to the Apostle Peter right here. Satan demanded to have you. Well, why? So he could sift you like wheat. Well, what does that mean? So he could train wreck your life in all kinds of ways. That he could reap destruction in your life. Ultimately, that he would love to have your soul. And, you know, as Westerners who are materialists, and what you have to understand is the culture that you live in is, is completely materialistic, right? Um, and for hundreds of years now, we have denied any spiritual reality really exists. The idea of angels and demons never even crosses our mind as you go throughout a week. And, um, and, and of course, this is already the work of the enemy to hide that he actually is out to have you and sift you like wheat. And we have no sense of the reality that even though Scripture speaks about these things constantly, we're just the, we're fish in water that don't know we're in waters of materialism that have no understanding of the enemy and his work. Scripture calls him a murderer and a liar and an accuser of the brethren. You know? He came to steal, kill, and destroy. That is his constant effort towards the bride of Jesus Christ. His constant effort is your destruction. He knows he's lost. He knows Christ is one. He knows Christ is king. He knows he is no match for him. And so, he's going to cause as much trouble as possible. And he's a real, powerful enemy constantly laboring against your soul. And if... If, if you're unaware that that's even happening, then you have no idea of how his devices work to deceive you and to tempt you. You know, Scripture says that he can appear as an angel of light. You know, and what that often will look like is, uh, often will look like some sort of circumstance that seems like the perfect plan and the perfect way forward and everything, if we go this route, is going to, go well and it's going to make me happy and it's going to bring me pleasure, whether it's sin or temptation or circumstance or whatever it is, it's going to look great. And it's going to destroy you if you walk that road. And so you have to have an awareness of the enemy. Now, note this. Satan had to ask permission to have Peter to sift him like wheat. He demanded of God to have him, to sift him like wheat. So, the two ditches are one, a complete neglect of the reality of the spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly places and an obsession with him. And a lot of, a lot of the churches who actually you know, would pride themselves on the fact that they understand the spiritual realm obsess over him. And give him more power than they ought because it's encouraging to us. Nothing that comes from the hand of the enemy to us has come apart from the permission of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what ultimately is the gap between Christ our Lord, the eternal God Son, and the created angel who reigns over all the evil angels? You need to be aware and you need to have eyes of faith that see a spiritual realm and see the work of the enemy and know that he often appears as an angel of light and know that he promises, he promises great and wonderful things to you and absolutely never delivers on any promise. And you need to be aware of his work. 
interesting. You need awareness of the enemy and then such an interesting story where so much of our theology actually gets worked out because Jesus says to Peter, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Now notice what's said afterwards. Because what's meant by this? When, when, when Jesus says that your faith may not fail, what's he talking about? Well, he says, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So is he, is he saying to Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail and you actually wouldn't deny me those three times? No, he can't be praying exactly that that's what's going to happen here. Because he goes on to just assume Peter's going to fail here. Peter's going to fail here. And he actually says, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Jesus actually, in the, in the middle of the fact that Peter's going to deny him, has confidence that, Jesus, that, or that Peter's going to turn again. And so he says, when you turn again. So he can't just be praying that, he can't be just praying that uh, necessarily Peter's, that's, that he can't be saying that, I've prayed that your faith not fail, not just that you won't deny me these three times. It's, that's kind of assumed here. That's coming. Well, is it, you know, for some of you, um, for some of you who are still coming to grips with the reality of how deceitful your heart is, and how desperately sick your heart is, and how much sin you actually are becoming aware of as you come to know Jesus more, and as His holiness kind of shines light on, on the darkness of your heart and you're kind of wrestling with your own wretchedness and learning how, to, learning how to do it with faith and not just doubt and learning how to actually come to Jesus rather than kind of flee from Jesus in, um, in some kind of work of the enemy that it's going to be better to run from Jesus when I see sin in my life. You know, for, for you... Is he talking about how, is he praying that Peter's faith won't fail after he's sinned? That could be an option, but it seems much more like, it's a more, much more ultimate sense. I've prayed for you, Peter, that your faith, your most holy faith, will not fail. And so, you need an awareness of the enemy, but you need a confidence that Jesus is interceding for His people that their faith will not fail. How much did you think about this week that Jesus was praying for you? sitting at the right hand of the Father, His present work, His present work, reigning over His church and interceding for you. Interceding for you according to the will of God. And most primary of the kinds of things that Jesus would pray for you is that your faith would not fail. And you have this confidence in Jesus. You have this confidence in Jesus that He actually intercedes for you. So, come what may. Come what may. Come my failures. Come my trials. Come my sickness. Come what may. Come financial difficulty. Come relational difficulty. Satan demanded to have you. But I have prayed for you, church, that your faith may not fail. And ultimately, Jesus praying that your faith will not fail is an intercessory prayer that is answered for all of His people. Jesus has never lost one member of His bride, and the faith, the true, most holy faith of Christ's bride 
every member of His bride and His church has never failed in any ultimate sense ever. It will fail in the sense that you'll sin plenty. You'll sin plenty. I keep trying to convince you of that. But I've prayed for you. That your faith may not fail. And so, two really important characteristics of every disciple of Jesus for their faith to not fail. It's not... This doesn't happen, you know, we know that Jesus keeps us. We know that He's the keeper of our souls, right? We know that nothing can separate us from the love of God. But it's not like we kind of have no participation in that reality. And you have to have an awareness of the enemy and you have to have confidence that Jesus is interceding for you. Confidence in Jesus' intercession. It's really interesting when Peter, you know, Jesus says to Peter, when you've turned again, in other words, you're going to fail, Peter. And he's going to tell him here in just a second about how he's going to fail. But when you've failed, Peter, when you've turned again, when you've repented, strengthen your brothers. Now, that's a fascinating thing, right? Because how could someone who, in the middle, like, we're here on Thursday night. We're going to come back to the two previous sections next week and deal with the Garden of Gethsemane. We dealt a little bit with the Judas passage already, but, you know, and we're going to deal with this night right before the time. And we were... We're like early morning hours now where Peter's going to deny Jesus the third time. Right before, you know, Jesus has already been captured. I mean, he's headed to trials and bouncing around and to a cross. And, and, and you know, you would think if you love Jesus, then in this moment, right here, in, in this time where Jesus is going to the cross, that would be the time that you would be the closest and boldest and most willing to you know, embrace Him and stand for Him and follow Him, except for the fact that it's got the threat of death written all over it, and so that is exactly the opposite of what happens. And all the disciples desert Jesus, just as Jesus said they would. You will all fall away. And uh, so in this failure in this desertion of Jesus by all the disciples. How in the world could you ever be qualified to do anything like strengthen your brothers? You know? And here's what I know. I think the greatest gift that God has used me for in in your lives and in the life of this church has nothing to do with my righteousness. the ways I'm most useful, and I think you will find that the ways that you actually are most useful, assuming you want to be useful to God in the life of His church, if you want to be useful, then what, will, what God will use is not so much your righteousness, although that will be true. You know, we look up to people and we see their example and we follow and we imitate, and that, that's true. But a lot of what will actually be most useful in the life of Christ church is how God takes your sins and uses them for good. That will actually be the thing that God makes most useful. So be a sinner for crying out loud. Not so that grace may increase, right? 
be honest about who you really are and what your life is really like and let God work in those things. Learn wisdom through those things. Learn what God's word teaches you in those things and how he turns your life around in the middle of your sins and how he's taught you and instructed you in righteousness and how he's forgiven you and been merciful to you and um, what, what you've learned in the place of that and, and give that to the same people who are going to be dealing with all the same kinds of sins and temptations. And so when he says, I'm praying that your faith won't fail when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers, he's, he's really using, he's going to use, he's going to use Peter's failures, God is going to use those failures, those sins, those denials of Jesus, even a moment like this, for good, strengthen his brothers. And ultimately, Peter is going to be a tremendous leader in the church of Jesus Christ. You see him preaching in Acts 2, 3,000 people converted. We see him leading the ministry of the gospel to Jews, longing for their conversion to Christ. We see him writing two books of Scripture with tremendous truth and wisdom in them. We see him warning us about things that he didn't take heed of warning about. We'll get to that in just a second. I want to encourage you to trust God, to trust God, and I want to give you this illustration again. You go to the doctor, right? And something's wrong. What do you tell the doctor? Every gross, awful thing that's embarrassing to tell them. Why? Why do you tell them that? Because they need to know what's going on so they can diagnose the problem. So if they diagnose, your hope is they will diagnose the problem accurately and actually have the wisdom and help to be able to direct you towards what will be a cure. And I long for you to think about the work of pastoral work and elder work. I long for you to think about it like that. We so desperately want to present ourselves as clean. But Jesus is praying that your faith not, won't fail. And right in the middle of this, he knows Peter's sins, that he's going to deny him. And guess what? He knows yours. He knows yours. So it doesn't do any good to hide it from those who can help you. It doesn't do any good to present yourself as clean. It doesn't do any, do any good to present yourself so concerned about your reputation. Look, I already know you're a sinner. I'll be surprised by nothing that you tell me, I assure you. surprised by nothing. But I do want to give you spiritual cure. I do want to be able to talk to you and say when you turn again, strengthen your brothers. And I do want you to see how God will actually take your sins and turn them around and redeem them and use them for good. Awareness of the enemy. Confidence in Jesus' intercession. Humility about the deceitfulness of your heart. Humility about the deceitfulness of your heart. So here's... Jesus says, Peter, Satan demanded to have you. Okay, so... First clue, Peter, that you're in for a spiritual fight. Second clue, Peter, that you're in for a spiritual fight is, Jesus says to you, Peter, and when you have turned again, meaning, <laughs> I'm assuming your failure is coming, Peter. I'm assuming it. Peter hears both things. 
Peter hears the devil's after him, and Peter hears Jesus' assumption that he's going to fail. And Peter is... Let me read to you what, how J.C. Ryle wrote this. He said, this profession... You know, see what Peter says here? Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I'm ready. I'm ready. If I've got to go to prison, I'm going to prison. If you've got to die, I'm ready to die. I'm right with you. I'll always be right with you, right next to your side. This profession was the language of a self-confident, inexperienced disciple who had not yet found out the weakness of his own faith and the deceitfulness of his own heart. Men little know what they will do until the time of temptation actually comes. So, you've got to have humility about the deceitfulness of your own heart have to have humility about the deceitfulness of your own heart. In the other in the in the parallel gospel passages, um, we actually we actually find out that um, Jesus actually tells the disciples you all you you're all going to fall away. In Matthew and in in Mark, I can't remember which one exactly, Peter says though they all fall away, I'm not going to fall away. That's in Mark. In, in, in Matthew, Matthew, Peter says, I will never deny you. I will never deny you. And this comes in the context of who is the greatest, right? The argument over who is the greatest and, and who was really probably arguing that they were the greatest? Probably Peter. Based on the way that these contexts flow in the, para, in the passages. Probably Peter. Though they fall away, I will never fall away. Why? Because I'm the greatest. And so Peter has no humility about the deceitfulness of his own heart. In his heart, he feels as though he's committed to Jesus sufficiently enough that he will never deny him. And of course, Peter loves Jesus. He loves Jesus. He's just so confident in his love that it could never possibly fail. <laughs> and some of you, this is just not new at all. And for some of you, this is probably brand new. But I want to encourage you to never say never about anything sinful that you could possibly do. You know, it's such a. Um, it's a mark of our immaturity still when we are self-confident about our righteousness and our virtues and our love for Jesus and our obedience to Jesus. And we look at people, because this is what we always do. We always look at people and we compare ourselves to people and we see what people are doing. We go, I would never do that. I can't understand in a world. I can't imagine how somebody could ever actually do that. I would never do that. Never. I would never do that. And what Scripture would tell you when you think, I will never do that, or not, and it's not a formula, it's not just that you say the words, it's, a, it's an attitude of heart. I, I would never go down that road. I would never pursue that sin. You know? Never gonna, I'm never gonna, I'm never, I never would. I can't even imagine how I could ever. And then. Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times.
never say never. Proverbs tells us pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. No one has ever fallen in any way without pride going first. You know, pride is so blind. We watched, a, we watched a documentary about ancient Egypt recently. And it reminded me of what pride is like because pride is so blind and pride has to be, it, it has to be chiseled at and chiseled away. It doesn't, pride doesn't go down easy. It does not go down easy. You know, I mean, I mean, a lot of the work of the church is fighting one another's pride. You know, it's fighting one another's pride. It's chiseling away at one another's pride. And it doesn't go down easy. And in this documentary, if you know anything about ancient Egypt, when they would bury their rulers, I mean, their rulers um, would 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 build giant, you know, pyramids that was merely going to be their burial ground. And what they would do then is they would start before they actually started constructing these, you know, they have various kinds of pyramids over there, not just kind of the ones we think about, but various kinds of pyramids that are burial grounds. Um, they would have to go down into the ground first and because it would, they would be buried down under the ground, but they wouldn't just be under dirt they would go down into the bedrock below all the layers of sand and dirt and whatever else was there. They would go down into the bedrock, this, you know, this practically solid rock layer, and they would start chiseling away by hand in order to form tunnels and make rooms, actually, because they believe this is actually where I'm going to actually live and function in the afterlife. And they would chisel away all of these tunnels and paths and rooms and bedrooms. And, and this is, and, and, and you can imagine how painstaking it was to just sit with basic tools and strength of a hand to chisel away bedrock. I mean, go out and try to take a hammer and just hit a rock in your driveway today, see if it even breaks. And that's what getting rid of our pride is like. That's what coming to the grips with the fact that our heart is actually easily self-deceived and we oftentimes think more more highly of ourselves than we ought is like you have to chisel away all of that thinking about yourself and you can't see it, which is why oftentimes it's painstaking. First uh, Corinthians ten twelve, right? Therefore let if let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. I'm a great husband. I would never hurt my wife. I'm a great wife. I hardly do anything wrong. All I mean Imagine what you thought when you were all giddy and you thought, well, I'll always joyfully submit to my husband. I'll never live in rebellion against my husband. He's just so cute.
be very careful about thinking that there's sins that you just would never commit in such a way that you will not take heed and guard yourself and fight against them and put on the whole armor of God. Satan demands to have you. He's stronger than you. You have to follow Christ closely. Humility about the deceitfulness of your own heart. If anyone thinks he stands, let him take heed, lest he fall. What happens, right? Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day till you deny three times that you know me. Jesus makes a comment about what mission is going to be like in verses 35 through 38. Then they go to Gethsemane, the Mount of Olives. Jesus is sweating blood. Then the, uh, the uh, army comes take Jesus. Or the mob, probably is a better way to say it, comes to take Jesus away. They take Jesus away. And you see in verse 54, then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. At this point, all the disciples scatter. They all scatter. They all flee. You know, they strike, strike the shepherd and the sheep scatter. And Peter was following at a distance. And then very carefully is recounted Peter's three denials, just like Jesus said. And the rooster crows. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Verse 61, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. You know, what is that? What is that look of Jesus like? In, in the passions of our flesh when we tell somebody something and then they fail, we're just like, well, I told you so, and your look's kind of like... It's probably not the way Jesus looked at Peter here. Probably sorrow in his face. love in such a way that it was just undeniable to Peter that Jesus was going through everything he was going through right now for him and for his own denial. Probably a look of sorrow, but a look of I'm doing this for you, Peter. Verse 62, he went out and wept bitterly. He went out and wept bitterly. And that's the fourth characteristic of a disciple whose faith never fails. They weep in repentance. I just hope sometime, sometime in your life, you understand what it means to weep bitterly because of what your sins have done and cost I just hope sometime that you think about the offense against Jesus and at the same time, his love for you and that what his kindness is doing for you and has done for you on the cross of Christ, just like what was happening in this moment with Peter. I just hope sometime you just get alone and weep bitterly or you get around somebody and you just weep bitterly. And how awful you are. 
I just hope that your Christian piety isn't so mechanical that you can just like intellectually agree to things, yeah, I was wrong, and never actually have any sense whatsoever of how emotionally overwhelming it is to have turned away from your Lord and to pursue your own self and your own happiness and your own pleasure at the expense of all the people around you. And just think of yourself as a wretch and weep bitterly over the harm you've done. And the reason for that is because the person who weeps bitterly in repentance is exactly who Jesus is looking for. He's looking for the person who's contrite of heart, who's lowly of spirit. And the wholesale absence of this kind of repentance in the church today just makes me wonder, how well are we doing really? I'm not saying this has to be every day, and I'm not saying every time you sin, this is what it has to look like. That it's just that repentance, I'm not trying to make repentance purely emotional. But for crying out loud, sometime, just once, just give me once and I'll be happy. Sometime. If it hasn't happened yet, when you fall and you turn again, let it sometime be through weeping bitterly. Because you really spent time thinking about how harmful your sins are. And you worked hard to actually find out how harmful your sins were. And you sought to figure out how it affected the people that you sinned against. And you considered all the consequences that was going to be required of you for your repentance to actually bear fruit. And you just weep bitterly over the whole thing. Let it hurt you that you hurt Jesus and grieved Him. Let it hurt you. May it hurt you sometime. Well. Because this is the beauty of the person that Jesus so wonderfully welcomes. This is the beauty of the person that Jesus restores. The fifth characteristic is be encouraged by Jesus' restoration, however bad you fall. However bad you fall. Such a precious moment. It's in the Gospel of John. When they had finished breakfast, this is post resurrection. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter's not lying there. Peter loves Jesus. He just didn't love him yet enough to not deny him and to not be self-confident. He said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And then we don't know what that means, right? Except for the narrator. The author comments, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. In other words, the point is this. Peter used to be overly self-confident that he would never deny Jesus. I'll, I'll follow you to prison and I'll follow you to death. 
And Jesus wasn't done with Peter. And He's not done with you, but He isn't done with Peter. And He's telling Peter, the day will come when you will follow Me to death. You actually will be that, Peter. That's what's coming. And I want you to be encouraged that by Jesus' restoration of Peter. This is very, this is very purposely Jesus restoring Peter from the weight of his guilt. It's Jesus' welcoming, loving embrace to Peter and his command for his obedience and his encouragement. That Peter, that thing you used to be so self-confident about that you weren't ready for, I'll actually make you that. I will make you that. And I just want to encourage you with this. In all of your failures, you go out and weep bitterly. Jesus will restore you. And He may very well make you the thing that you thought make you what you wanted to be, but were overconfident in yourself to get. And it even caused your failure. He may make you that. Because he's not done yet. He who began a good work in you will perform it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Faith that never fails. Faith that never fails. Through the whole thing in this passage is the rule and work of Jesus in Peter's life. But you've got to be aware that there is a devil who demands to have you. And you've got to be confident that Jesus is interceding for you. He loves you that much. He never stops. And you've got to have humility about your deceitfulness of heart and you have to repent. After every fall and failure, you repent and you confess your sins to God. And you do it daily. And what do you find? He welcomes you and accepts you and He cleanses your conscience and He gives you peace of heart and assurance of your life with Him by His Spirit. And you're restored. And you're confident that He's not done with you yet. It's faith that never fails. Well, what's true about all of us is in various kinds of ways our faith has failed. And so, um, one of the sweet, sweetest and most wonderful things that we do as a church is to partake of the Lord's table. To look to Jesus to place our confidence in Him again, to cleanse our consciences, to give thanks and and adoration that it's His blood ultimately. It's His blood ultimately. It's His death in our place on that cross. It's Him breathing His last and saying it is finished. It's Him burying our guilt on that tree. It's Him becoming sin for us. Not that He became sin in His nature, but He bore the guilt of our sin up on that tree. And He died there and He rose again. Just as He restored Peter post-resurrection. And because He's raised from the dead and promised to come again, Just as He promised to die, He promised to come again. I read someone say this week that we should have greater confidence in His coming again than ever in His promise to die because He's the one who's raised from the dead. And He will finish the work that He started in us. And ultimately, our faith won't fail because of Him. Because of Him. You're never going to have enough awareness of the enemy. You're never going to have enough 
humility about the deceptions of your own heart. Ultimately, it rests on him. And so that's why we partake of the Lord's table this morning. So um, we partake of these elements. There's nothing magical about them. We partake of them in adoration of Jesus Christ because he commanded us to do so. And he works through these things and sanctifies us and strengthens our hearts to walk with him in obedience and in faith. And so I want to ask the man to come and be prepared to serve you. We're going to do what we've done previously, which is um, there are going to be two lines where you can come and partake of the bread or grab the, the bread and the cup and take it back to your seat. And then we'll read a little bit of scripture and uh, partake together in just a moment. But before you come, I want to encourage you, this is not for those who do not know Jesus Christ. This is for those who are Christians. You're trusting, your faith rests in Jesus Christ, the Lord who died for me, and you know there is no hope of rightness with God, of peace with God, of reconciliation to God, of salvation apart from Jesus Christ. There is nothing. You can't trust in yourself. You can't trust in your own works. You can't trust that you're a nice guy or a decent person. You have recognized I am a sinner and I need Jesus Christ to save me. He's the one who's righteous and by faith makes me righteous also. If that's you, then you're welcome to participate with us. Um, Let me pray and give thanks for the body and blood of our Lord and then you come and participate and grab the elements when you're ready. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. This is all about him. We thank you that He's the one who's keeping us. Ultimately, we'll not let our faith fail, even though we fear it may fail. Jesus, thank you that you will not let our faith fail because our faith rests on your precious blood. And your blood doesn't fail. It doesn't fail to pay for us any one of our sins, however small or however great, whether it just lives in the heart and thoughts of our wicked minds or whether it comes out in our lives and our behavior and our marriages and our parenting and our workplaces and wherever, Father, your dear Son, His blood paid for it all and all of the glory is His. We thank You, Lord Jesus, for Your shed blood and Your broken body and they are sure and steadfast anchors of our souls that the hope of eternal life and the hope of seeing our faith be realized unto sight in the day in which you come or the day in which we die will be realized. And we will have been kept. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.